Hello, everybody. It's the Jan Arden Podcast. Those oh. are all the wrong notes. I'm Jan Arden. We are here with Caitlin Green, Adam Karsh. They're coming to you live and in person from Toronto in their respective. Adam's still in his basement. He's still got weird stuff behind him on the wall. Is that behind <laughs> you on the wall, Adam? I've wanted to talk about this. It looks like an old stereo that has like a cassette deck and a DVD CD player. It has a five disc CD changer. <laughs> it has a double cassette. This is actually the first big purchase I bought myself when I got the job at Chum Radio all the way back in 1998. So, oh that's my, my old gosh, that doesn't get used anymore because all my music is on my iPhone now. I know. I'm I just going to say, why do you have it? <laughs> why do you have it? Just in case I want to break out one of my cassettes. I don't know. I love the cassette. You have to be a certain age to appreciate. The, what you needed to do with a pencil and a cassette because I had this, I had this, I drove this Monte Carlo car, which was like a land barge, terrible on gas. I think it got like one kilometer per gallon. And it, the cassette deck always ate the tapes. You guys can relate to me on this. So you you'd hear that sound and then you'd like, you pull the, the, the cassette out and be like, son of a crap. The tape is stuck in there and then you'd have to get that out without busting it. And then you'd get the pencil and roll the tape back in. It was like the perfect size. I used to use my pinky too. I was just going to say that. Sometimes I would jam my pinky in there and it would have little like teeth marks on it afterwards. I yeah. still remember doing that. Oh my word. Well, I still have my cassette deck downstairs, Adam. So don't feel bad. I don't want to throw it out. <laughs> I too have cassettes. And further to that, I have a giant plastic bin filled with songs that I wrote that are all in cassette, like hundreds of them. Oh, that's cool. I used to buy packs of 10 at the co-op, those TDK 30-minute cassettes. Mm -hmm. And uh, I probably still have a few packages that are unopened because I wrote a lot of songs and I put them on cassettes and I'd give them to my manager at the time, but I still have them. I, I want to sit down one day and, and go through them and stick those cassettes in and see what the hell songs are on there. I'm sure they're <laughs> terrible. I, I listened back to like even probably three or four years ago when I was on the radio and I think I sounded terrible too. Like I can't hear the sound of my voice is different. Like we played an old bit from our, our, like a show two years ago on the air recently. And we have a relatively new producer and he said, Oh my God, like, is that Caitlin? And like, my voice sounds honestly quite different. It could just be the processing or the microphone we were using at the time, who knows, but it would be so funny for you to go back and listen to all those old songs, not just because of what you were writing about, but also probably because of what you sounded like. I don't disagree. Mm -hmm. I think anyone even leaving voice messages, like on your answering machine or on your phone, we, none of us really like hearing our voice. Hi, you've reached Adam Karsh. This is 555-917. I mean, you hear your voice and you're like, oh my God, is that yeah. what I sound like? Because we hear ourselves from the inside. Mm -hmm. So we're hearing our voice from the inside our head. Um, I've always thought I sounded annoying and my singing voice has changed a lot. I mean, it, it has changed a lot over the years. You, you just sound young, I guess a, a voice ages. Yeah. Like I, Joni Mitchell's singing voice in ladder records for one thing, she dropped like complete octaves, but I don't know who I loved more the older Joni Mitchell singing voice or the younger Joni singing voice. And I think Joni herself actually said she much preferred her voice as she got older, huh. that the timber and the register of it. I mean, 
just if you got time today, go pull up two Joni songs, one from the nineties and one from the sixties, and you will not even believe it's the same person. Yeah. I prefer my voice as I've gotten older a little bit too. Cause I felt like, I felt like I sounded, I don't know, just not as smooth or like more nasally or, or I just didn't like how I sounded when I was younger as much as now. But I do worry that cause I, I relate to the whole octave lower because my voice sounds a lot deeper on there now than it used to. And I feel like I'm like, am I becoming like Stockard Channing or something? And I'm going to sound like <laughs> I've been smoking a pack a day by the time I'm 50. Like what's happening? And I have a low <laughs> voice to begin with. Like I was the one alto girl alto in our choir growing up. Oh. So I didn't have, I didn't have octaves to go down to, to begin with. So I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> um, I wanted to share a little story with you guys. It's was quite exciting for me. My friend's, Nigel and Charlie, who live in London. I might have mentioned them on this show before. Certainly, Nigel. Yeah. They flew to Bermuda yesterday. <gasps> That's where my brother-in-law, that's where my family lives. I want to go so badly. How was it? Okay. He said it was fantastic. They yeah. boarded in Gatwick. Okay. He gave me his flight number. British Airways are still flying the routes because, and I said this to Nigel, how can they make money? He said there was 40 people on the plane. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, about an eight-hour flight from, from the UK. He said it was, they got their, they were in business class. There was four people in the entire business class. Mm-hmm. Everyone was in masks. They had no interaction with the flight attendant, um, except for they dropped the dinner box off and then a little snack bag near the end of the flight. But they were not given any bottle service. Um, if they wanted a drink, it came like, a, I think like a vodka soda was in a can mm-hmm. and it would just be, they had gloves and a mask, but they had no interaction. Uh, they had to ring the bell to use the washrooms and then you'd go in and use the washroom. And as soon as that you came out, Nigel said, you've never seen a cleaner aircraft washroom wow. in your life. Remember how they used to be? Yes. There'd be urine everywhere. Oh. There'd be There'd be toilet paper that were stuck on the side there. It was disgusting. So Flying disgusting. and going pee in a, even peeing in, a, in an air. It was disgusting. We'd let it go too far. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, Nigel's like, I could eat. I could have eaten off that floor. I really could have. <laughs> and he said, after you come out, they'd go in with like a little bomb thing and they'd spray it down. And the bathroom mm-hmm. had to be shut for like 60 seconds before the next person went in. Mm-hmm. So it was quite, yeah, it was, it was quite the thing, but he said it was a wonderful flight. They felt really safe. He said we were absolutely six feet away from everybody in our cabin. And um, when they landed, they got tested. Yep. And they had to go straight to their, they had to give their address and everything. And further to that, they had to apply for a permit to go to Bermuda. So they yeah. had to be approved and they had to be tested negative and show that to the Bermudians before. So there's quite a few tests involved and they had to pay for it. Yeah, I know I'm going on and on here, and I know it sounds like a rigmarole, but Nigel said he would do it again in a second. So, so that's in- what I've been debating about, about yeah. doing the exact same thing he just did, because those do exact it. same those same rules apply for us, and we could go conceivably at any time to Bermuda. You get the test before you go, you show that it's negative, you get on the flight, the flight procedures like that, and then when you get there, you do the next test. And my brother-in-law and his wife and their three children live there, and they keep saying, please come visit us, like stay for two months for crying out loud. And they have a beautiful house with a pool. And they said on the island, there are very few cases. They had to go into an extreme lockdown right away because they have very limited hospital space. So they weren't messing around for like months on end. They were very, very locked down, like New Zealand level lockdown. And so as a result, once you get there, it's very safe. So, and like we had thought about it. Um, It's funny though, that you mentioned how dirty airplanes used to be because I honestly feel 
that my assessment of airlines pre-COVID is what has made me so apprehensive about returning to flying because I've gotten sick from being on a flight more times than I can count. And I, I find the flight, the, even when I was in like a, a you know, premium economy or, or upgraded to a different class, like I still felt like I had to wipe down every single surface when I got on board. And when I did, my wipes would be like black when I was done with them. And so it's made me Ugh. scary to hop on. So I'm really relieved to hear that he had a good flight experience. And like WestJet runs direct flights to Bermuda from Toronto. And honestly, it's like just over two hours or something or three hours to get there. And it's direct. So it's a nice little short flight. I mean, we'll see how things go with our numbers. I might do it eventually. Well, they got their tests back this morning. Uh, No, yesterday. Because they got tested as soon as they landed. Uh, You're given a number. You go down a hallway. There's two people there in hazmat suits. You get the nasal swab. Mm -hmm. Um, You're given a number. Get your stuff. They went straight to their hotel. They had groceries delivered. So they Mm -hmm. phoned in advance, and there was a grocery store that delivered to this house that they're renting. Their tests came in yesterday. They're both negative. They will be tested Mm -hmm. again in four days. They still have to stay in the house. They can't go out to restaurants or anything. So the test in the four days, if it's negative, then they can go out into the the town. Mm. And they have friends there. They've had friends there that have lived there for, you know, 100 years. Yeah. Their family's been there for a long, long time. Well, that was our take too. Like we would, we would basically get to our, like my brother-in-law's house. They'd obviously have everything set up. We'd, you know, until we wait that first 24 hour period for that initial test result, we'd be like away from them, like at a, like a wing of the house or something. And then you wait. And when the four day test result came back, we could go to the beach, we could hop on their boat, we could do whatever. And I really thought about it during the the dead of winter. I thought maybe we we'll want to go. Yeah, we, we might. We honestly might. I'm, I'm really waiting to see how this next little bump of cases we have in Ontario right now pans out. Um, cause I, I sense that if they, if it gets worse in the next few weeks, nobody will really be hopping on planes for a little while. Hopefully then we flatten that out and come Christmas, we'll be back in the, back in the, well, I'm like, I want to, is it red that you're supposed to go into? No, black. <laughs> Both sound terrible. Both are terrible color references right now. Well, I, um, they, they really are. I, I think, you know, not to be a, a negative Nelly, but I think they warned us of this. They said there's going to be a second wave. And so I'm not surprised by it. You know, of course, people drop their their guard a little bit. And then they and, you know, we've got all these kids back in schools and, you know, all these things contribute. So I think we have to be careful once again, not to shame people, not to point fingers. It doesn't help anything. Um, Yeah, it's difficult to see. I always worry about our medical, you know, frontline workers and the nurses and all the health practitioners, because of course, it puts pressure right back on them. They just kind of came out of this. And, uh, but, but this is, this was to be expected. So I, I think people need to keep that in mind. It's not like, oh my God, nobody warned us. Nobody told us. This is completely you know, unacceptable. We were completely told about this over and over and over again. And we were told about it in July. Yeah. I just hope the government enforces some common sense measures this time around, because the fact that again, here in Ontario, we had a horrible situation with our long-term care homes. Well, that was partially because the government decided to let people who tested positive for COVID, but were asymptomatic go into work. And then look what happened. They did the same thing with uh, migrant workers here and they live in congregate housing there. So again, look what happened. That became a hotspot. So sometimes I feel like they get up and do these press conferences where the government's like, oh, I'm so upset with all the people and they pull the angry dad card and then behind everyone's back, their policies don't match. So I hope there's some policy matching that happens this time around. 
You're listening to the Jan Arden Podcast. We're going to be right back. Welcome back to the Jan Arden Show and Podcast. Oh my gosh. Um, did you guys watch episode one of the Jan I Show? I did. I did. Oh, thanks. Not yet. I'm going to, not yet, but I watched all the teasers and the trailers and I watched some of your press. That's all you need. <laughs> Um, yeah, it feels so good to have it out there in the world. Uh, today, the reason I bring that up, you're probably thinking, oh gosh, she's just doing all the self-promotion again. Um, Deborah Grover, who plays my mom, Nora, is going to be on the show today. And Elena Watko, who is a Canadian Idol alumni, she plays Kale, uh, one of my managers on the show. And she does a fantastic job. She's going to be with us today. And I'm going to be talking to them about auditioning for the Jan show and kind of what that was like to go through. I'm very curious to hear what they have to say. But thank heavens that it's out there. And on another very self-serving note, ladies and gentlemen, I have a record out today. It came out yesterday. It's called Gems, uh, Hits and Other Gems. And it's got uh, some of your favorites on it from my Universal Records, and, um, and some things you haven't heard before. Just, uh, there's a really cool version of Insensitive on there that's very much worth checking out. I do also a song by The Cure called Love Song with Scott Hellman. Oh, and we cool. Recorded, yeah, we recorded that in a hotel room with oh. his band in a hotel room. So if, if you were the person beside us in that hotel room last year, <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, I love that song, and I also love Scott Hellman, so that's really fun. Yeah, he's a great guy. So yeah, that, that came out yesterday. You can find the, that on all your favorite streamers, Spotify, iTunes. The cool thing I find, like, so I, I really love the first episode. I love last season of, of the Jan show as well. But like I noticed, did you, I'm sure you guys caught the Emmys and you saw Schitt's Creek run away with like every single award this year. I was cheering like a maniac. Loved it. It was such a great moment. And, uh, you know, the, they're, they're all up there at Casa Loma and they had their viewing party there in the city. And apparently people in Toronto on Twitter were saying like they could hear the celebrations at Casa Loma and they were just so thrilled. It was just this great like local win for Canada. And, it, you know, the tie in for me to your show is that, that, you know, Schitt's Creek was so good and so funny for so long here in Canada. And we have this like complex sometimes with Canadian content where we don't think it's as good as it is. And we are late to our own party. And I think that's what happens sometimes uh, with, you know, a lot of these great shows that get produced. And then, you know, this was a case of it get, gets picked up and carried on Netflix and the U.S. is all over it. And then can't, like Canadians are like, oh, should I start watching? I'm like, yes, give it a shot. If you tried it and you didn't like it, that's fine. But if you just were like, oh, I don't know, it's Canadian, so you don't get into it. I'm like, um, hello, our stuff is hilarious. And like your show is a great example. I'm like, don't sleep on Canadian comedies because we make funny stuff. Yes. I, I think even going back to the SCTV days, um, yes. I cannot tell you how many laughs those guys provided for me. And I guess ironically, well, not so much ironically, but having Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy that were, oh, you know, yeah. part of the, that gang, you know, late 70s that, that, made Canada laugh for so long. We were all so proud of SCTV mm -hmm. and so many epic, epic sketches came out of that show. Uh, and that began shooting in Edmonton of all places yeah. in a little studio. I remember a guy bringing me, I was doing press up there years ago and he's like, 
this is like my favorite studio. They used to shoot SCTV in here. And I was like, what? And we all freaked out. And they, they had some of the old few little things in there. After all these years, they've still saved some stuff. Yeah, this was the set for the blah, blah, blah. I was like thrilled. Anyway, Dan Levy made a great tweet a day or two after the Emmys. And it, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, hey, you know what? Thank God, you know, the CBC and Pop TV, uh, th this show would have been pulled after the first year for, for underperforming. Yeah. And he said, you know, com comedic shows, these types of shows need time to, to develop and for people to be endeared by these characters. And, and I love that tweet. I retweeted it and I, I'm sure I commented just thanking Dan for, for saying something like that. Shows do need time. I mean, we're yeah. in our second season and, you know, anyone that thinks there's a lot of money to be made, certainly in Canadian television would be sadly mistook. And none of us are, you know, making any kind of money. We're, we're doing it in hopes that we're being entertaining, mm -hmm. that we can get out there and, and show the world. Like I know everyone on our set, cast and crew included, producers, we, we so want the world to see Canada and to see what we do here. Yeah. And, and uh, so thanks for Shit's Creek. I thought, I thought we were being punked. I thought the first hour of the Emmys, I thought someone I was going to come on and go, ha, ah, we were kidding. But like, I, I just think, you know, again, you know, you've got Lauren Michaels, Canadian behind SNL. You've got like, you know, Jim Carrey, of course, Catherine O'Hara, Andrea Martin. Um, John Candy. John Candy for crying Ray out loud. Moranis. Like, uh, I mean, like, it's crazy to me. Martin Short, who's like Ryan one of my absolute. Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's so much hilarious talent in here. And, uh, Brandon Fraser. So yeah. And they all get like, and again, same thing. Think about like, I always think of like trailer park boys. I found that trailer show hilarious. Park boys is so funny. I thought it was so funny. I remember like Jonathan Torrance, like when he would do like Jonavision and stuff, I thought he's so funny. Even you go back to like corner gas, little Moscow on the Prairie, the red green show. We have so many Canadian comedies that again, if you tried them out and they don't resonate with you, that's fine. Um, you know, working moms, Baroness Von Sketch, like, it's just really crazy when you don't even give it a try and Canadians almost dismiss it out of hand. And I'm like, we need to learn how something they've mastered in the US, which is marketing ourselves and thinking that we're good because <laughs> lots of crappy stuff comes out of the US and people watch it in huge numbers. And I, I think it's just the success of marketing. Well, even, you know, going beyond the, the comedy sphere, Avonlea ran for so many years. Aunt um, Heartland is on season 14. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're in 60 or 70 countries about the, the, the West, you know, here, horsemanship and ranching and, yeah. you know, Look at Letter family. Kenny. Letter Kenny. I mean, like Letterkenny has had huge success in the Southern U.S. and, and it, its success there almost kept it going here, which is crazy. Well, we have one minute left. Adam minute. comes up and he has, I, I want to say Adam's giving me the finger, but it's just, it's the middle pointing <laughs> finger. No, so it's that's the index okay. finger. One minute, one minute. Now oh 50 my gosh. seconds. Well, you guys will be glad that we have 50 seconds left because you know what I wanted to, I'm glad we talked about Canadian television because it is important. And congratulations to all our friends at Schitt's Creek. Yes. Uh, this Canadian and these Canadians on this show could not be prouder of you. We are inspired. I think what you, what the Schitt's Creek gang has done for this country to put Canadian television, Canadian comedy back on the map where it should be. We thank you so much. I was going to talk about politics, 
because um, everyone looked at me and I was like, I really want to talk about Trump not wanting to like step down peacefully if, <laughs> if he's not elected. And Caitlin's eyes kind of looked up into the ceiling. Well, yeah, I have a few comments. Anyway, you guys, thanks for listening to the Jan Arden podcast. Uh, we've got so much coming up. Um, stay with us. Deborah Grover, Elena Watko are up next. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Jan Arden podcast. I'm Jan Arden. I'm leaning over to pick up my dog and put her on the couch. That was not me bearing down to have some kind of a weird bowel movement because um, that, that just sounded weird on the internet. Um, I'm here with two amazing people, and I know worst segue ever. Two amazing people that I have gotten to know over the last couple of years. Uh, Deborah Grover, who plays Nora on the Jan show. Yay, applause, ha, ha. And Elena Watko, who plays the diabolical kale with a C, is here with me. She's here today. Hi, girls. Hi, Jen. Hi. So where am I speaking to you guys? Deborah, where are you? I am in the kitchen of my house here in Toronto. Lovely. And Elena, you're in Toronto as well, right? I'm also in Toronto in my spare bedroom. But I've turned into a music room. I love it. I've got you've got guitars back there and everything. I want to. I'm. I'm going to absolutely talk about you and your music, Elena. But I first of all, I want to start, and I'll start with you, Deborah. I want to start just right from the beginning of the audition process to go into a show like Jan. You guys get these calls to to do auditions. This was all new for me. I had no friggin' clue how it works, and I remember flying into Toronto to be able to see some of these auditions. So I saw both of you women auditioning. I was sitting there at the table. So I'm going to shut up and I'm just going to let Deborah speak to her experience first. Well, Jan, it was, first of all, I had just finished your book um, the day, the morning of when um, I was going in for my call back, but it was like, about my mom. oh my gosh. Yes. yes. And, and it was like, oh my gosh, so full with emotion, but it was like, I'm going to walk into a room and meet this amazing woman, you, Jan Arden. And I'm going to have the opportunity for that two minutes, five <laughs> minutes to be with you, to, to experience you who has, who had just created this amazing work of art, let alone all the beautiful songs that you've written. But we were in awe. We were in the waiting room and there were other people in there, you know, having their callbacks. It's like, Oh my God, we're getting to meet her. You and then you walk in and you try to be calm and you're calm and I'm going, oh, my heart is beating so fast. Well, it's already nerve wracking coming to an audition, I would imagine. And I never thought about that. I never thought that, you know, sitting there might be a bit daunting. But you seem very cool and calm to me, Deb. Well, thank you for that. But it was like, you know, we wanted to... The opportunity to meet you, Jan, that, that was it for me. And I thought, okay, the bonus is I'm getting to read for her wonderful mother. And then when you got up and then recognizing our dear Ron Murphy, our director who I'd worked with before, and it was like, oh, this is okay. Yeah. There are familiar faces here. And then you get up and you're going to read with me. Well, first of all, you give me this big, big hug when I arrive. Remember I went, when we used oh, to man. hug each other? Oh, <laughs> I know. Like you could hug people you don't even know. Um, yeah. So in yeah. the audition process, just to walk everybody back, 
everyone that would be coming in to read for the part of Nora, they read the same piece. So, so Kale coming in, Elena coming in would read the same piece for Kale that the other actresses was, would read as well. Um, I was quite struck by how much you looked like my mom, Deb. And um, my mom was very, Thank very you. petite and she was quite thin. I was the antithesis to my mother. I'm like the bull in the china shop. You know, my dad used to oh. say, you're the sturdiest singer in Canada. I'm like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> But, oh. uh, but yeah, you, you really, uh, it was so nuanced and great. And, and, uh, I learned a lot that day to, to watch these words come to life. Both you and Elena were just, you made things come to life. It seemed real. It seemed like this is now happening. And you, because you stood up and you came and you read opposite me and you were right there. And there I went, Oh, mother, daughter. And I looked into your face and I went, Oh my gosh. You are really here with me. You were so open and so giving and generous. And I went, wow. Can I ask you what, what the experience is for you, Kale, Elena? Like coming in and doing that, is it, is it nerve-wracking? So nerve-wracking. Yeah. Oh, oh so, Especially when they say Jan Arden's going to be in the room. So I think I told you I practiced meeting you. Just so I wouldn't oh God. Like, have like, just, like <laughs> I feel terrible now. And then just like screw up the rest of my audition. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it was. But there's something you're so nervous going in because it was. Also, it's also the worst casting office in the city. Like, love you, Lisa, but you. It's a narrow, tiny little hallway with like blah walls. You're just look. You, you're so close to everyone. It's so claustrophobic in that tiny room. There's no bathroom. Um, and you're looking at other people that are coming in. I, I met all the other. I saw. I think you guys saw 75 kales. I like saw so many beautiful <laughs> kales in the waiting room. We're all like giving each other a thumbs up. But if there's something when you just go into the room, something takes over, and you're just you're just in it. And um, I remember getting getting to read with you, but also um, how fun it was getting to read with Jason Blicker. I'd never done it before. Well, you know, fast forward, Jason Blicker, who plays Todd. Uh, the irony of that, you guys reading together, is that t Jason got the part of Todd. Yeah. So that was just a serendipitous uh, pairing. Um, I wish I would have known more about the process. I would have. I wish I would have known. You know, maybe me being there was a bit of a detriment, no. but I felt like I needed to see no, everybody. No, 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 um, no, 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 it's not. No, 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 no. Well, what I've since learned is, you know, everyone keeps telling me it doesn't work this way, Jan. It doesn't work this way. This isn't how it happens. So I think being naive going into making a television show can be quite beneficial. Tell me about the call you received when you found out you got your respective parts. Deb? Oh, I, I was at the cottage. Uh, my, my daughter and her guy had just gone off in the kayak and I'm sitting there and we'd been waiting for a few days <laughs> going, okay, is it me? Is it three other people? How many people are up for Nora here? And then I get the call and it's like, oh my God, oh my God. And I'm waving to them, come back, come back. You got to hear my news. Because then two days later, we were on a plane and we were going to Calgary. Wow. So it was like it happened that fast. You had two days? I had one. Oh, well, maybe it was just one. No, maybe it was just one. Elena, where were you? I was in Toronto. I was heading to a cottage for the weekend. I had prepped because I was like, oh, I don't think I got Jan. That's okay. I'm going to move on. It's going to be great. And I got the call early in the morning and it was like, can you be on a plane this afternoon? And I was like, uh, laundry, I need clothes. I, I can't, I need to do laundry. 
Is that normal for it to be pushed so close to, to rehearsals and, and shooting? Sometimes yes, sometimes no, depending on the project. Yeah, and, and, and I, everybody has to have their say in terms of approval, you know, network approval. You may like yes. us, the director may like us, but do all the producers and then it goes somewhere else. So it's, it's, it's quite a process. So it, it takes time. It does take time. I can assure you that we as a team got every single person we wanted. So kudos, kudos to CTV. Yay, thank you, CTV. Yeah, but like you said, Deb, there are a lot of levels to casting a show, especially, you know, a mainstream contemporary scripted comedy. And there is a lot of people that want to throw their hats in the ring as far as their opinions. But CTV, and I'm not saying this just because we're on CTV, this group of people championed every single person that we said we really want this person we didn't get it we did not face opposition we did not face someone going nope we're not doing that you've got to do him you've got to do her and um so i guess i was naive i was like gee whiz that was such a nice process (laughs) but but on the other hand for you they gave you this amazing trust. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. They said, okay, we trust your vision. We trust who you see playing these parts. And I had the feeling when I walked in the room that I went, oh my gosh, she is just so focused on who we are. And you knew, I think, well, the feeling I got was that you knew when we walked in the room, yes or no. I pretty much did. And Ron Murphy, with both you and Elena, uh, Ron, Ron was, you know, I remember him saying about Elena, you know, she can, she takes direction. And I, I, I now I've learned what that meant. We've got so much to talk about. Um, thank God we're going to come back with these two incredible actresses that are just, they make the show. We hang so much emotion off of both of these women. You're listening to the Jan Arden Podcast. I'm here with Deborah Grover and Elena Watko, don't go away. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Jan Arden Podcast. I am here with Deborah Grover, who plays Nora, who plays my mother on the Jan show on CTV, Monday nights at 8 p.m. And also Elena Watko, uh, who plays the fierce and somewhat annoying but somewhat endearing Kale with a C, who is my manager, uh, she in season one battled it out with Todd Blicker or sorry, Jason Blicker who plays Todd. That was Freudian. And, um, you know, so we find ourselves back in Jan's world again for season two. Where, where were you guys for episode one of season two? Were you excited to finally air it? Because we did finish this season last October so it's been a long wait because of COVID. I've talked about that a lot on the show of how we were March, then we were May, then we were August, then we were September. Where were you, uh, Elena? I was at home with my dog, Samson, cuddled on the couch. Um, and I was <laughs> like oddly, oddly nervous. Like I was so nervous for the first time. I don't know why. I think it was because we filmed it so long ago that I, I just didn't remember. It's probably as new to you guys as it is to the audience. I was looking at it going, I don't even remember learning these lines. There's <laughs> <laughs> too many to learn. Yeah. You gotta remember them and then just get it out of the brain. So you can yeah. New yeah. In. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Deb, were you at home with your family? I was at home just with my husband. My daughter, um, 
uh, Tess and Jordan, they were watching in their own home. Well, so they said. So they said. (laughs) Yeah. But it was like, um, yeah, my husband and I and the dog in the living room. And it was uh, like Elena said, it was like, oh, my gosh, what did we do? (laughs) What was that first episode about? Oh, my God. And then you go, oh, yes, the Sarah McLaughlin episode. So, oh, Jan. To see you and Sarah on the screen together, it was like it was like so wonderful to see you two singing Canadian dynamos on the screen together, fighting about a scrunchie. That was unbelievable. Well, you know, it's a heritage moment, <laughs> isn't it? You know, when and I, I think this whole show hinges on everyone being able to make fun of themselves. So even when we have guest stars, and I think you guys would agree, they come in and they they're willing to make fun, even though they're playing themselves. They're willing to make fun of themselves. And Sarah was a great sport. And thank God we had stunt people. Um, God bless them. I heard. God bless stunt people. I heard on this, like, what is it? The pop-up video? Or I I can't remember. The the two, which is amazing, by the way. Mitty's such a star. That the two stunt women, Shauna and Megan, it looked too real the first time they did it. It looked too violent. It was very violent. Because they're both strong women. Like, Megan is an MMA. Like, she's trained to do an MMA fight. She won her first fight by a rear chokehold. Like, I saw that video. She's she's fierce. You've got a fierce (laughs) stunt double. So, like, I love That sounds like a Tinder date that I went on. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the uh, the old rear chokehold. It's it's the only way to get him to pay for dinner. Right? Um, (laughs) So, we have such... We have big plans. Like, and I think that's what I love about everybody on this show is that everyone has been so positive. And what I've learned from you guys has been, you've been so generous of spirit. You know, I came into this not knowing a thing. And I don't know if it's always like that on sets, but the kindness, the generosity, um, everyone willing to help, no one has been, no one's even been like bossy or I want different water. Like, is it always like this on sets? Not necessarily, but I will say that on day one of season one, you came in and you set the tone. You walked into the makeup and hair trailer and you just went, what is it with you guys? We're here at 5 a.m. in the morning. I'm in construction. For gosh sakes. You set the tone then. It was like, Welcome aboard. We're going to laugh and have a wonderful time. I've been acting for all of, oh, 30 seconds now. <laughs> but I, those were your very words. And I went, oh, my gosh. We're just going to play. We're just going to hang out together and play. You gave us permission. Elena, you did. I, thank you so much for that. I would be remiss, Elena, if I didn't mention that you were on Canadian Idol. I would be remiss to say that you are an incredible singer an incredible musician. Um, we, we, um, it, it's, it's, uh, tell me about that experience a little bit about Canadian Idol. Cause I, I've actually heard people when we're out, I remember somebody recognizing you going, Hey, you, you were in Canadian Idol and you were very gracious about it. You're like, yeah, it was like 40 years ago, but I was there. <laughs> <laughs> Elena, how old are you? I was, I was 18 when I tried out. Oh. And I was, oh, I thought honey. I was going to be a doctor and make my mother's dreams come true. So I, I think I, I went in and I was like, okay, if they tell me I suck and I become one of those joke auditions, then I'll know <laughs> I can go and do that. And this is, it was never meant to me, it's meant to be. And then I just got further and further and further. And I was like, oh my God, 
Like I can do my passion. I can do what I love for a living. So that was, that was amazing in itself. It was, I think you're, I think your mom is cheering you on now though. She right? is. She is. You know what? I wish I had recorded the phone call I made to her when I booked Jan. Like I've never heard her scream like that. It was Aww. like just so excited. And usually like, I don't usually share auditions with my mom because I don't want her to get upset if I don't get it. You know what I mean? But I did after the callback actually with, with you and with Jason, I was talking to her and I was like, you know what, mom, I'm just going to tell you, I had a really great day today. I, I got to oh. this great show. I met Jan Arden, like, and it felt so good. And no matter what happens, it was just so awesome. And she was so happy for me. And so when I booked it, like she just let out this big scream and this like, like maniacal oh. laugh. Like, oh my God, <laughs> I wish I recorded well, oh. it. Yeah. She I love, I love that those moments of joy exist because I know both of you could probably talk to me for two hours about very difficult auditioning I think people need to understand what people, what actors go through to get these parts, to be on television, to be in theater, to get movie parts. It's so arduous. And sometimes when you're on the third callback and, you know, you, you feel very scrutinized. And I think especially as women, as we make our way through lives, you guys have really sub have, have put yourself in, in, in harm's way, I think, emotionally. So I really commend you for... Um, putting your hearts out there. It's very risky mm -hmm. uh, to, to put yourself in vulnerable positions. And as an actor, you'd probably agree, Deb, you have to be vulnerable. You have, oh. to, you have to have that sternum cracked open and let people see who you are or no one believes your part. Yeah, absolutely right. And, and it takes time to get there. You know, as a person in my own life, when I first started out as a young actor, you know, I felt things were on the surface and I wanted to be this young, sparkly kind of gal. And then as you age, thank you. Thank Hallelujah. you. Hallelujah. I'm with you, Deb. I'm still here. Baby. I'm with you, Deb. I'm, I'm still here. You go, all of that drops away. All of that drops away. You go, I'm just going to come and be open and show up to this magnificent party that you're asking me to be part of. So that is the gift that I am, that I've been given, that I, man, I continue to work, holy smokes, um, as, an, as an actress, as an actor of our certain age, which I definitely am. <laughs> um, you know, um, yeah, I've got a few years on you, Jen, I do. But um, that... I am being allowed to continue doing what I love. Holy smokes. Deborah, you're, you're responsible for all the teary moments, I think, in the Jan show. Elena would agree oh. with this. We hang a lot of the drama on you. Elena oh. and I get to kibbutz and try dresses on and, <laughs> and you know, be at award shows. And we hang yeah. an awful lot of tears on you, Deb. And oh. you, you are, like both you guys, you, Elena, you're part of Kale. You have a really... And people saw that in, in season one, very dramatic, you know, the person that you've created is, gosh, it's so much better than even it was on anything in my deepest imagination of what you've done with Kale, because it, she's, she's tough to play, isn't she? She's fun to play. I love, I, ah. I have so much fun with her. 
but she's got a stick so far up her I butt. Oh, I know. I love her. I love her for it. I don't. I. I. I love. I have so much fun playing her. There's such. I think that's the thing. Like acting gives you such freedom to like explore someone else's life and circumstance and how they respond to things. Yeah, I. I just. And everyone has commented on both you guys so many times, the sense of pride that I have walking around in the world, going to the airport and the comments that people make about the whole cast, they'll say, Oh, I love your show. And then they'll talk about Max and Dave and Kale and Todd and Nora and Charlie oh. and everybody has their favorite characters. And I, do you guys oh. find that like, it, it, it's great that everyone loves the family. Like we have created this family and, and people come up to me and they just are dying to know. They, they're like trying to get stuff out of me. And I'm like, I can't tell you. <laughs> I love that. Like we're trying to get out of you for season three. Like, Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, well, we are writing season three of the Jan show. Uh, for those of you who have just joined us, I'm with Deborah Grover, who plays Nora, my mom, and Elena Watko, who plays Kale, uh, my manager. Um, we always do this in the show. I've started this a few weeks ago. I'm, I'm really curious. I'm going to ask you guys in these last couple of minutes, what was one of your favorite school lunches when you were kids? Like, I just, I got it. I think it's so interesting to find out what the hell people's mothers put in their lunch kit or what you wanted, Deb. Oh, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just a, a normal peanut butter gal, you know, Good. but sometimes, we, sometimes, yeah, I was the peanut butter sandwich gal. That's perfect. And with, with a few little um, cheese strings on the side <laughs> and that was it. That was it. But the bologna sandwiches, I didn't like, Jim. Okay. I really didn't Nobody like. wants yeah. nostrils and arse. <laughs> You're right. Uh, Elena? I love this question. Every time I have... Like, well, you're ending questions. the show with your answer, so there you go. <laughs> I I always had one of those lunches that the kids would be like, "What is that?" I loved um like leftover Chinese food, like thick rice noodles, the beef and the Chinese like the bok choy. Like I I love I love like noodles, and um there was this like, oh I love that it was like a Filipino purple coconut thing. It was like looked like a pancake. I don't even know what was in it, but it was like my favorite. You peel over. It was just so like little and little lychee cups and stuff. But I I, I love that stuff. <laughs> I love it. Uh, a lychee that cup. Is. You were the only kid. Only Listen, kid. what a pleasure. I, and and you and you but you're you're special and you deserve lychees. I wish I would have had lychees in my lunch. You've been listening to the Jan Arden podcast. Deb Grover, Elena Watko from the Jan Show Monday nights on CTV at eight p.m. We'd love for you to come along on this ride. I'm so grateful to you, women. Um, stay tuned. We we love our listeners. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. Um, we uh, we will see you next time, folks. Totally do. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.